Well, good morning, everyone. It's all you watching online, and a very warm welcome to many of you here in the building. Uh, Callum White, one of our ministry trainees, will be preaching this morning uh, from the passage in Mark, uh, Mark 14, verse 43 to 65, Are You the Messiah? Now, many at the time thought the Messiah was going to be a king, a conquering king who would lead the nation of Israel uh, to overthrow the Roman Empire, the Roman occupation. Uh, But as we'll see, Jesus was not really that kind of king. He was the servant king who came to give his life as a ransom for many. That he was rejected, that we would be accepted. It speaks about that in Isaiah uh, chapter 53. Verse 3 to 5 says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came and gave his life for us. That he was pierced for our transgressions, that we might have peace. He was, he came into our world to be rejected by by man, that we would be accepted by you. And so, Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us. As we meet with you this morning, we pray that you would help us to receive this message in our hearts, in our lives, that we would be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Steve Smith comes up to read our passage and Callum comes up to to preach, we're going to stand together for the next song as we think about King Jesus going to the cross. The song is The Power of the Cross. Let's stand together. Mark chapter 14, verses 43 to 65. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. 
the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Great. Well, thank you, Steve. And a warm welcome to you all here in the building this morning and to you watching on at home. Um, Do keep your Bibles open uh, and let's pray together as we ask for God's help as we look at his word. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to gather together and to hear from your word. I pray you would give us all ears to hear and hearts that are willing to be changed as we hear from you this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder what comes into your mind when I say the word rejection. For me, the first thing that came in was TV talent shows, right? Things like The Voice. You see someone coming in, singing their heart out, only to see the judges stay facing away. They're not good enough. Someone walks away, they're rejected. Maybe you think of another TV show, something like Dragon's Den. Budding entrepreneurs come in to share their big new business idea just to have all of them turn away and hear Duncan Bannatyne say, and for that reason, I'm out. But maybe you think about rejection on a more personal level. You think of that job that you so desperately wanted. You went through the stages of the interview just to hear back, to say thanks, but no thanks. You're not what we're looking for. You've been rejected. Or maybe you think about a time when you were rejected by someone you loved. The time when a proposal didn't go as expected, a family member pushed you away, a partner who packs up their bags and leaves. You see, rejection is something that we've all personally faced to some extent in our lives, and it hurts. It's a deeply painful feeling, and one we try our hardest to escape from. But it it isn't just personally that we face rejection. You see, we're living in a world that is progressively becoming more hostile to the truths of the gospel. We're living in a world that rejects Jesus. We've seen that so clearly already this morning. And we've seen just some of the persecution that Christians across the world are facing. We see the extent to which the world rejects Jesus. But this isn't, again, something new. 
See, throughout history, we see a world which has consistently rejected Jesus. And in the passage we're looking at today, it's no different. We see Jesus rejected. Now, a quick reminder of where we've been over the past few weeks. We've been following Jesus in the last days up until his death on his journey to the cross. Last week, we saw Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He just had his final meal with his disciples. He's gone out to pray, and now we begin to see everything go wrong. See, within 24 hours of the section that we're looking at today, Jesus will be dead. He'll be hung on a cross. We're here to, we're here alongside Jesus in his last moments, and what we're going to witness is a horrible few scenes. Scenes where Jesus, the Messiah, the promised king, will be rejected repeatedly by his people. I want us to look together this morning at three scenes. And in these three scenes, we see three people or groups of people who reject Jesus. And as we do, I want you to imagine you're a fly on the wall in each of these situations. Picture yourself there, watching on. Try to understand what it must have felt like. For Jesus to go through what he did, to feel the pain of rejection. We'll see in these scenes that these people reject Jesus in slightly different ways for slightly different reasons, but they all ultimately lead to one glorious outcome. So firstly, we see Jesus rejected as he is betrayed by a brother. Look down at verse 43 to 46 with me. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. Appeared With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away on the guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. In verse 43, we're reminded of who Judas was. He was one of the twelve, one of Jesus's closest friends, a man who had spent the past three years following Jesus. He'd been there alongside him at all those big moments as Jesus fed the 5,000, as he healed the sick, as he cast out demons. This wasn't just some random guy who turned Jesus over. This was someone Jesus was very close to. And it wasn't just a a random moment of betrayal. This was clearly thought out and planned and arranged in advance. There was a crowd there with swords and clubs prepared for any trouble. Judas had even arranged that signal where he says, the one I kiss is the man. A kiss. A sign of love and affection and relationship turned on its head to do the very opposite. To hand Jesus over. And see what it says there at the beginning of verse 45? Judas went at once to Jesus. There was no hesitation. This was what Judas was here to do. His mind was made up. If we flick back to earlier in chapter 14, Mark tells us that Judas had made his mind up after we see the woman pour perfume on Jesus' head when he's at Simon the leper's house. See, that was the final straw for Judas. From that moment on, we're told he was looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. This was a premeditated and planned betrayal. Now, we don't exactly know from the gospel why Judas did this, but money was clearly a big part of it. Judas was willing to betray Jesus for money. He thought his 30 pieces of silver was more worthwhile than the life of Jesus. 
Judas clearly hadn't understood who Jesus was. He put money and worldly things ahead of him. He rejected Jesus, partly because he thought there was something that was better, something that was more important. And we can see this kind of rejection of Jesus in our own hearts too. See, we may not be actively betraying Jesus, but if we are honest, there are areas of our life where we reject Jesus. Like Judas, we all have things in our own lives that we put in front of following Jesus. Money, career, family, friends, hobbies. It could be anything. It's worth taking time to examine our own hearts, to see what it is that we're tempted to put in front of Jesus. What part of his teaching we reject? What gets in the way of us fully trusting him? In our own way, we can be just like Judas, having different areas of our life where we reject Jesus. So we've seen Jesus rejected as he's betrayed by a brother. And as we move on to the second scene, we see Jesus is rejected as he is deserted by the disciples. Jesus isn't just rejected by one disciple and Judas. The rest of the disciples reject him as well. Jesus has already predicted that this will be the case. As we saw last week, the disciples were convinced that they would stand by Jesus no matter what. But here, just straight away after, we see the very opposite. Look at verse 47 with me. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priests, cutting off his ear. We know from John's gospel that this is Peter, bold, brash Peter, resorting to violence to try to protect Jesus. He couldn't possibly let Jesus be taken away and arrested. But how does Jesus respond? He says this. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. See, Peter was ready for a fight, but Jesus says, I'm not here for rebellion. I'm not here for a fight. I'm here to fulfill the scriptures, to do what I came to do. When the disciples realize that Jesus isn't going to fight back, that he's willingly going to be arrested, what do they do? Then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. See, what's so stark about this is that just back at the Last Supper, when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, all of the disciples agreed that they would stand with Jesus. They would never desert him. But here, when things start to take a turn for the worse, as soon as things start to go downhill, they all desert him. Again, Jesus' closest friends, the ones who should have known better, the ones who should have trusted him, turned their backs and fled. They couldn't get out of that situation quickly enough. We also see this rather amusing aside where this young man runs away and loses his clothes as he does so. Uh, Most scholars believe this to be Mark himself, a young man at the time who wants us to know he did the very same as the disciples. He was willing to go through the humiliation of running away naked rather than stand alongside Jesus. When things got tough, what did the disciples do? They rejected Jesus and they ran away. Why did they do that? Why did they reject Jesus and run? Well, partly because they were afraid. 
You see, they may have been expecting Jesus to stand and to fight against the rulers, to lead a rebellion, to bring worldly glory back to the people of Israel. But when they realized that this wasn't the case, they ran. They didn't trust Jesus, even though he'd said time and time again that he was going to be handed over, time and time again that he was going to go and die. They still didn't trust him. They rejected him. Jesus had called them back in Mark chapter 8 to take up their cross and follow him. And here again, they do the very opposite. In essence, they ditched their crosses and they rejected him. You see, we might like to think that if we were in their position, we would go and stand alongside Jesus. But the truth is that so often we're just like the disciples here. When it comes to standing up for Jesus, we get scared and we run away. In those moments at work or with family or friends who don't believe and we have the opportunity to say something of the truth of the gospel, stand up for the Lord Jesus, so often we stay quiet. We mumble something under our breath. We go along with what others are saying, afraid of the consequences if we take a stand. We say we trust Jesus and we follow him, but when push comes to shove, so often we reject taking up our cross and following him. Compare that to the way we've seen this morning of our brave brothers and sisters across the world who stand up for Jesus. They're under the threat of death, and it's, it's deeply humbling to see people standing strong in the face of that ultimate opposition. What an example they set. So friends, this morning, do search your hearts. Where are you tempted to run away and reject Jesus' call for you to take up your cross and to follow him? We see the disciples run away and Jesus is taken away, which brings us to our third and final scene. We see Jesus rejected as he is condemned by the court. Now, I don't know about you, but Tash and I are big fans of crime and detective TV shows. Through lockdown, we've been binging Line of Duty, Unforgotten, so many different ones. Uh, And the general premise of them all is the same. We see our protagonists gathering up evidence and in the final finale, we see them put it to a court. We see justice done. Roll credits. But in this third and final scene that we see in our passage today, we see a very different trial. See, justice is most certainly not done. In fact, we can barely call it a trial. The whole thing is a nonsense from start to finish. It's not a trial. It's a complete farce as we see Jesus condemned by the court. Look at verse 55 and 56. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against them, but their statements did not agree. They were looking for evidence so that they could put Jesus to death. This wasn't a fair trial. They weren't looking for balanced evidence. They had their agenda. They wanted Jesus dead. And despite that, they couldn't find any. Jesus was innocent. Surely there's no way that he could actually be convicted here. They even got people to falsely testify against him. But even then, their testimonies couldn't agree. All of this was a nonsense. But what did Jesus do? Verse 61, Jesus remained silent. Jesus was innocent. He could have gone on in great detail about how all of these claims being brought against him were rubbish. But he stayed silent. 
Finally, the chief priest asks him the big question, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is an incredible moment of revelation that we see from Jesus, finally letting the people know who he is. And they say this is the high point of Mark's gospel where Jesus proclaims who he is publicly for the very first time. He's the Messiah, the promised king. He'll be sitting at the right hand of God and will return to his people in glory. So surely now the trial would be over. The chief priests and the elders would see Jesus, who Jesus is, and the shambles of a trial would be over. Well, the trial is over. And what's the verdict? Verse 64. They all condemned him as worthy of death. And after that, they took him away, spat on him, and beat him. The people should have seen who Jesus was, but they didn't. They rejected him and rejected his claims that he was the Messiah. Why? Well, see, these religious leaders didn't think they needed saving. They were avid rule keepers. They followed the law and thought they were good enough in themselves to be right with God. So Jesus, who told them this wasn't their case, who turned their worldview upside down, they saw him as being blasphemous and they wanted him gone as he threatened them and their positions of power. They thought they were good enough, so they rejected Jesus, who said they weren't, and said they needed him to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning, or you're sitting, watching on at home, and you, like the religious leaders, think that you're good enough. You try to be a good person, and yeah, you might mess up from time to time, but in comparison to others, you're all right. You're definitely in the top 50%. Maybe you don't think you need Jesus, and in that way, you too reject him. That is the case, and I, I hope and I pray as we explore the reasons why Jesus is rejected, you'll see that rejecting him for yourself is not a wise decision. So here, as we come to the end of our three scenes, what what a horrible journey it's been. We've seen Jesus betrayed by a brother. We've seen him deserted by the disciples and condemned by the court to be put to death. How does it make you feel to see Jesus like that? To see him beaten, rejected and all alone. We've seen Jesus rejected in our passage and we've seen how in our own way we mirror this rejection in our own lives in different ways. But what do we learn about Jesus in these scenes? What does this teach us about Jesus and why does that matter? Well, firstly, we see that Jesus is rejected willingly. As we thought of before, rejection isn't a pleasant thing to experience. I'm sure we all do as much as we can to be accepted and to be welcomed by others. We do all we can to limit our opportunities to be rejected. But throughout this whole passage, we don't see Jesus fighting or resisting in any way. He lets Judas approach and kiss him. He lets himself be arrested. He doesn't call the disciples to come and help him. He lets the accusations of the religious leaders and the false testimonies rain down on him and he stays silent. See, in all of these moments, he could have easily stopped those happening. 
If he'd wanted to, he could have called down legions of angels to protect him and to stop these events unfolding. But he didn't. As we saw last week, when Jesus was in the garden, he knew what was going to happen and it deeply disturbed him. Do you remember his words when he said he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death at the thought of what was to come? But after he prayed, God gave him the strength to go on. Jesus had the choice. And yet by the grace of God, he chose to go through this ordeal. He went willingly. Jesus went willingly, feeling the pain of rejection from Judas, from his disciples and the religious leaders. Why? Why would he go through all of that? So that we can be accepted. You see, our rejection of Jesus by putting things in front of him means that we deserve to be rejected by God. Our rejection of Jesus when we run away, when we should stand for him, mean that we should be rejected by God. Our rejection of him when we think we're good enough means that we should be rejected by God. See, we reject him, and so rightfully, he should reject us. Yet, Jesus, the one man who didn't deserve this rejection, willingly took it upon himself. Jesus went through all of this, this hugely painful human rejection in order to go to the cross where he took the ultimate rejection. He went to the cross to take the ultimate rejection in our place. He took the rejection from God that we all deserve so that we can be accepted. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 helps explain this wonderfully. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus took on that rejection from God to bring us to him. To bring us to God. Despite our weakness and selfishness and our rejection of him, Jesus' sacrifice means that when we trust in him, we are accepted by God, accepted despite our weakness, despite the many ways we reject him, he accepts us. I hope that's a truth that thrills you as much as it's thrilled me this week. It has been a tough journey as we've seen Jesus go through incredible emotional pain, but he did that so that you can be accepted. What a wonderful privilege that is. Maybe you're sat here or you're listening at home and you've been struggling with being rejected yourself. Maybe you've been rejected by family. Maybe you're facing rejection from job applications. Firstly, what a joy it is to know that we have a savior who understands what it means to be rejected, what it feels like to be rejected. But but even more than that, for each and every one of us, despite the fact that we reject God in so many different ways because of Jesus We are accepted. Accepted because Jesus was rejected. Rejected on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. We are accepted so that one day when Jesus returns, just as he says in verse 62, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven on that day, he will welcome us in with open arms if we trust in him. He will accept us. So friends, if you're listening this morning and you don't yet trust in Jesus, can I urge you to reconsider? 
Explore who Jesus is for yourself and understand that he went through all of this human rejection and then faced death on the cross in your place to make you right with God. To bring you full and total acceptance. And if you do trust in him, then rest in that wonderful truth that you have been accepted by God because Jesus took the rejection you deserve. Accept Jesus into every area of your life. Don't reject him by putting things in front of him. Don't reject him by running away when you can stand tall for him. Accept him into every area of your life because he was subjected to the greatest rejection for you. And this week, in the run-up to Easter... What does it look like for you to take a stand for Jesus in the face of potential rejection? Could it be something simple like sharing one of our Easter evangelistic videos on your Facebook page? Could you invite someone to come along or tune in to one of our Easter services next weekend? Could you tell someone this week about the amazing acceptance you have from God because of what Jesus achieved on the cross? Jesus, the Messiah, was willingly rejected by both man and God so that we can be accepted. What a joy it is to know that. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we are so sorry for the times when we reject you. Whether it's we outright reject you and we reject Jesus or if there are areas in our own lives where we put other things in front of Jesus. Where we run away when we should stand, when we think we're good enough. Lord, forgive us for that. But Lord, throughout the midst of that, thank you so much for what we see achieved on the cross. That Jesus was willing to go through all of this human rejection and to face rejection from you on the cross so that we can be welcomed in, so that we can be accepted. Help us all to remember that and help us to take a stand, to share that wonderful news. Pray you give us all strength this week in the run up to Easter to share that wonderful news, to share the fact that we've been accepted Despite the fact that we don't deserve it, despite the fact we reject you, we can be accepted. Thank you so much. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's that's us for this morning. Uh, As we head out, please just keep moving uh, so we don't gather around the atrium or the the front door. Uh, Let me encourage you as well. uh, There's a Zoom coffee at uh, 12, so you've still got time to get back for that, to be able to encourage one another in that. Let's close together in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you that uh, you turned your face away from your son, that you might turn your face towards us, that you, uh, Lord Jesus, were rejected, that we might be accepted. We thank you that we are brought into the warm embrace of our loving Heavenly Father. And we are your people, we are now your children. And so, Lord, help us to walk like that this week. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, on your amazing love for us, that we would bring you joy, bring you pleasure in how we live our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.